0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Litmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and in this episode we're going to continue our study of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And we will be looking at four different aspects attributes or characteristics found there. They're very similar, yet with clear distinctions between them. Remember now, all of the particular attributes mentioned by Paul in the two verses, taken together, constitute the fruit of the Spirit. Each and every one of them is to be developed and manifested in the lives of us all, and the way that is accomplished is by filling our hearts and minds with the things revealed by the Spirit with the word of God. So we begin this episode with kindness. Some of the translations that you may be using will have this translated as gentleness. When we look at the way that the word is used in other places in the New Testament, we can get a pretty good idea of what it means. In Luke chapter 5, verse 39, we read, And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for the new, for he says the old is good enough. The word translated as good enough in the King in the New American Standard Bible and as better in the King James Bible is the same word that is translated as kindness in Galatians five twenty two. Well, how is the old wine distinguished from the new wine? The answer is that in the sense of being better, kinder or gentler. In other words, the old wine is not as sharp and biting in taste. The old wine is smoother, more mellow. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, the great invitation of the Lord. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Easy is from the same word. It is easy in the sense that the Lord's yoke is not galling. There's nothing harsh about it. So by looking at these two passages, we begin to get an idea of what kindness means. It is speaking of a gentle or a kind disposition. There are people who are extremely caustic and harsh in what they say and how they say it. There are some who just seem to be constantly hurting people, even when they are trying to do good because of the manner in which they do it. It's often described as some who will tell individuals that they are going to go to hell if they do not repent and render obedience to the gospel, and it appears as though they're glad that that is the case. Others can say essentially the same thing, but not alienate the one to whom they say it in their words and actions toward each other It is obvious that there is genuine care and concern. Now before we finish talking about kindness, I want to look at goodness from Galatians 5.22. The word is defined as uprightness of heart and life. Goodness, uprightness, generosity. The problem we have is in determining the exact meaning Paul had in mind when he used this word in Galatians 5. You see, goodness is very broad in meaning and its definition depends very much on the context in which it is used. We must also ask, how is this different in meaning from kindness? If we consider goodness as uprightness, zeal for goodness and truth, we can see a person exercising that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, even in rebuking and correcting and chastising. Think of Jesus in the temple in John 2, chapter thir- th- verses 13 through 17. There the Bible tells us the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves he said take these things away stop making my father's house a place of business his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your house will consume me think of jesus as he stood before the scribes and pharisees in matthew 23 and issued those scathing rebukes of them jesus said unto them woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He called them blind guides and whited sepulchres full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. In his rebuke and in his denunciations, in his displays of righteous indignation, Jesus was acting in the strict spirit of goodness, uprightness, zeal for truth. However, in these displays of righteous indignation, we could not say that the Lord's kindness or gentleness, an attribute he also possessed in abundant fashion, was being displayed. Now then, let's look at Luke 7, where we find the account of Jesus and Simon the Pharisee's home. Into that house comes a woman of the city, a sinner, with an alabaster box of ointment. She stands at the Lord's feet weeping, and washes his feet with her tears, drying them with the hairs of her head, kissing them and anointing them with ointment. I want us to notice how Jesus dealt with this woman as an example of kindness. Beginning with verse 44 and reading through verse 50, we find, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, whose sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How often did Jesus display such a gentle and kind disposition, saying things hard to be heard and things that needed to be said, but saying them in such a way that they accomplished the end to which the words were intended. Think of how he dealt with the woman taken in adultery in John 8. His kindness was displayed in the gentle manner with which Jesus dealt with her, as opposed to the harsh and unkind treatment she received at the hands of the scribes and Pharisees. At the same time, his goodness was displayed in that he said to her, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. I believe that these two are included in the fruit of the Spirit because both are so vital in our successful journey to heaven. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 helps us to understand kindness when Paul wrote the following, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We must cultivate a kind and gentle disposition. At the same time, that kind and gentle disposition must never cause us to compromise, but we must be upright with a zeal for goodness and truth. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, for the fruit of this light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now let us consider gentleness from Galatians five twenty-three. The particular word is defined as gentleness, mildness, meekness. As we can see, all there is a similarity with what we have already studied, but there is a subtle difference that we need to talk about. Gentleness, or meekness, is that attribute of personality that recognizes and accepts God's dealings with us. The meek person understands the use that God makes of bad situations and bad individuals who His people. One fellow explained it this way, he that is meek or gentle will know himself a sinner among sinners. And this knowledge of his own sin will teach him to endure meekly the provocations with which they may provoke him, and not to withdraw himself from the burdens which these sins may impose upon him. Don't confuse gentleness or meekness with cowardice. They are not the same. Our society today highly esteems the self-assertive kind of person who will not let anyone trample on his or her rights. Should someone violate those rights, and it is Katie bar the door, that is not how a Christian reacts. We are to be meek, which practically means that we recognize that we are a sinner among sinners. Therefore, when someone sins against us, we bear it patiently. That does not mean that we ignore the sin. Indeed, we go to the sinner with that sin but we seek to grow spiritually from the problem recognizing that we might be tempted to act the same way as the one who committed the sin against us to be gentle or meek does not mean to be spineless a gentle or meek person can get angry but the anger is under control it is the right amount of anger directed at the right person for the right amount of time it is as paul wrote in ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. The gentle or meek person, recognizing that he is a sinner among sinners, knows how to forgive and comfort the man who has sinned against him. Look with me also at James chapter one, verses twenty-one and twenty-two, because there James wrote, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers that delude themselves. The gentle or meek person does not rebel against the word of God or the one who gave it. He or she accepts its teaching with humble obedience, bringing their life into conformity with it. Let's look now at one of the two remaining aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that we have not considered. Look at faithfulness. The King James translates it as faith, but that's not the best translation of the word there. It is obvious that the word here does not mean having the meaning of belief, trust, or confidence in. The passage is discussing human virtues that are the fruit of the Spirit. It may be that you are using a translation that translates it as fidelity, and that is a much better translation because fidelity, faithfulness, is what is intended. Paul is talking about that trait of character that makes a person reliable, someone who can be counted on. It is the virtue of a man whose word can be relied upon, whose loyalty can be depended upon. It is the virtue of an unswerving fidelity to Jesus Christ. When I think of this attribute exemplified, I think of a statement made by God of Abraham in Genesis 18. Looking at verses 17 through 19, the Bible tells us, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, for I have chosen him, or as the King James puts it, for I know him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring up Abraham what he has spoken about him. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to be of such a character that God could say of us, I know him, that he will do what is right. Or I know her, that she will most assuredly teach her children to follow me, both by example and precept. That is faithfulness or fidelity exemplified. There are some people who can be trusted in all things, Whatever job they are given to do, they will perform it as best as they know how. If they agree to teach a class, they will be there and they will be repaired. If they are assigned to cut the grass, clean the baptistry, paint a wall, paint lines on the parking lot, whatever it might be, they will be there on time and they will do well. You can count on these kinds of people. You aren't going to have to wonder what they will say, what they will believe, or what they will teach tomorrow because they have a steadfastness in their character that doesn't have room for fluctuating and changing with every wind of doctrine that comes along. When controversy arises, these are the ones upon whom you can depend. You know where they stand, firmly on the truth, and you know what they will say and do. These kinds of individuals are gems in any church and a blessing to everyone they come in contact with. When I think of fidelity, when I think of faithfulness, I think of Job. In the very first chapter of the book of Job, he lost his oxen and his donkeys, his sheep and his camels, and his servants. In other words, he lost his wealth. In addition, we find in verses 18 and 19 that he lost his sons and daughters. But in verses 20 through 22, we read, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Over in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we find, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. That is faithfulness. That is fidelity. An unswerving loyalty to Jesus Christ. An absolute dependability and trustworthiness. And so, what better people can there possibly be than those who live their lives characterized by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? We have one more characteristic to look at, and it is the one that undergirds them all. And Lord willing, we'll talk about that next time. Words to think about. Thanks for listening.